Welcome to the More Beach Meetings podcast produced by Surf Office. I'm Carson Sweezy. The More Beach Meetings podcast gathers the leading voices of the future of work to discuss remote working, company culture, and team retreats with new episodes the first and third Wednesday of the month. Laurel Farrer is a distributed operations consultant and founder of Distributed Consulting. Laurel helps businesses convert their roles to remote-friendly positions and works with governments, businesses, and organizations across the world with big picture strategy consulting on how to capitalize on the benefits of remote work, such as strengthening economic development or increasing job accessibility for refugees. Let's get into it. Hey, Laurel, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So what do you mean when you talk about the seriousness of remote work? Oh, this is something that I want everybody to understand in the entire world that relates to remote work is I think the media right now is doing a great job of publicizing and bringing attention to remote work, but I feel like it's the wrong kind of attention. We're always saying that the benefits of remote work are for the worker, right? Like, yeah, you can work from the beach, you can wear your pajamas, like that's fine and that's fun and convenient, but that's not what remote work is about. And that's not why it's changing the world because it is changing the world for individuals and for cultures and communities. So yeah, the seriousness of remote work for me means that there is significant socioeconomic impact of allowing virtual jobs. It can change businesses. The benefits for businesses are enormous. The benefits for communities and economic development is huge. It stimulates diversity and inclusion. It helps with childhood obesity. It helps with um, environmental sustainability. Like the light list just goes on and on and on. And we're not talking about those more important issues. So yeah, that's obviously what I feel passionate about. Awesome. Well, clearly we want to dive into some of these. Let's maybe try to break them down one at a time. So when you talk about the benefits for communities and And are you talking about with the role that government plays or what do you mean specifically with that? For sure. So there are a bunch of different economic development initiatives that I advise. And it's interesting to see how they're all coming to a similar place, but from different directions. Um, Some are trying to retain nomads in a certain area so that they can bring their spending power to a, a certain city or region. And so that the economy isn't as dependent on the tourist, but they can stimulate the economy in other industries. Others are just trying to diversify the industries that are in a certain area so that if a certain industry collapses, the area is still sustainable. But then most importantly, and where we're seeing a really big push and a lot of support is for rural economic development. So that regions and cities that are completely isolated and don't have access to big industries, big companies, the commute time is too long. Typically, these cities completely deteriorate. But if you bring virtual jobs to them, then allows the opportunity for that city to completely revive without the cost and expense of recruiting new businesses. It's, I mean, it's really, really big deal. Yeah, and you've written a lot about this, and we'll certainly link to some of those articles in the show notes. So how do we create enough jobs to meet that demand as more people want to remote work? Yes, this, I'm really glad that you brought this up because 
virtual jobs are in a supply and demand crisis. With all of the media attention about remote work, it's easy to think or come under the impression that it's very easy to get a remote job. And that is not the case, especially for employment. Um, It's easy to start as a freelancer, but to find consistent, high-paying, stable work, whether as a freelancer or as an employee, it's extremely difficult. So yes, it is going to take all parties involved, employees, employers, governments, community initiatives, organizations, unions. It's going to take everybody coming together and getting on the same page to really address this problem and create jobs. So I personally am am focusing more on the employers and helping them understand how to convert their operations from physical to virtual so that they don't feel as scared about the transition of promoting and allowing flexibility in their workforce. So as the demand's increasing and government sees the benefit in this, how do you go in and help businesses, be it small or large, with the transition? Is it different between small and large? And if so, can we maybe start with one or the other? Yeah. So the good news is that it's not that different uh, between small and large. Um, Obviously, the technical implementation is very different because obviously the infrastructure of a large company is much, much more complex. But the concepts and the principles are the same. Essentially, you need virtual communication channels, and you need digitized resources so that your offsite workers can troubleshoot on their own and have access to all of the resources that they need to do their job. And you need an update in mindset of management that we don't need to see workers working to know that they are working. We just see the results of their work, right? Like this is the concept of cleaning a car. I don't need to watch somebody cleaning my car to know that my car got clean. I just see a clean car. So that's what we see in terms of what a company needs in order to transition are those digital resources, virtual communication channels, and updated management mindset. And from there on, it's it's pretty smooth sailing. But the first step is usually a lot of myth busting. It's helping them understand what the benefits and advantages of a flexible workforce are. It's putting a lot of their fears at ease uh, because they've been misinformed or have jumped to conclusions that aren't true. So step one is usually myth busting. Then we convert the infrastructure. And then after that, they get to enjoy the the flexibility. Yeah. And so being super intentional about it, not just saying we're going remote and then seeing where, where everything lands, like actually strategically thinking through it all. Exactly. That's the biggest mistake that most people make is when they they think that converting to remote operations is just great. I'm going to send everybody home with a laptop and then we'll be a distributed team. Check. And it is absolutely not that simple. And when people and managers oversimplify it like that, that's when we see the really classic destructive cases like IBM and Yahoo that they had to recall all of their offsite workforce because it wasn't sustainable and they made a change without doing it correctly and without going into it in the right way. So yes, it is a very simple and easy change, but you have to go into it with the right knowledge and the right preparation in order to do it the correct way or else it will not be sustainable. And in three to five years, any company, large or small, will be in the same position as as IBM and Yahoo having to bring their workforce back in. So yes, it's a 
easy change, but it has to be an intentional one. I'm glad you use that that terminology. So then what are maybe like the high level concept categories that they need to look at? You're talking about digitizing resources. So everything that a company like manuals, training manuals, HR resources, pretty much everything, or is there something that you've broken down? Yeah, I think the key word there would be accessibility, right? So if somebody is working offsite, and that can be in a home office, it can be on a vacation, it can be traveling to a client's office, whatever, like if they are not in your office, do they have access to the resources that they need in order to do their job? So this doesn't digitization has really exploded as a trend and people tend to get overwhelmed in the change management of it. It doesn't need to be that complicated. It just means that if somebody's working offsite, can they have access to the people or to the handbooks or to the tools and equipment that they need in order to do their job um, instead of waiting to come back to the office to go over to HR and submit a file or to ask a question to a certain department or to submit a ticket to IT or whatever. Can they do that offsite instead of having to absolutely be on site to do that work? Yeah. So we need to understand the workflow, like from start to finish, like what is, what is Jenny's day look like from the beginning to end and how do we make these resources accommodating to, to whatever it is that she's trying to do outside of the office. Is there, is there like a, a common pitfall that companies fall into the mistake of? Yeah, especially this is where we see it a lot with older and existing companies is that just from the sake of tradition, there's a lot of paperwork and, and physical based workflows, like go to this place or look in this book or submit this form that's, you know, handwritten. And that's just, obviously, it's an easy process to update that. But yeah, it requires a mindset of being willing to forsake tradition, or being willing to change up workflows and processes, which I understand that some companies are not willing to do that, or it's it's a significant process to do that. But um, that's essentially what it will entail for, for any manager or leadership that is thinking about this and thinking about what this process will entail, that's what we would do. We would make sure that people have access to people uh, via virtual communication channels. They can email them, they can ping them on Slack, et cetera, instead of going to their office. Or instead of looking in this file cabinet with this book, we're going to make a virtual copy of the handbook so that everybody can have equal access to it and they can search for the the resources that they need. Or instead of getting memos on the bulletin board, we're going to have an internal alert system, things like that. Like for a lot of us, it's second nature, but for a lot of businesses that have been operating for a long time, it's an intentional change. What do you think is maybe the most surprising benefit of remote work in terms of economic development to these communities? Yes, this is this is a good one. Well, and I think that this pairs well with the benefits for businesses. So that's an easy segue of if this is a if you are a manager, you're thinking about converting, why? What would be your motivation? And so we see this in so many different ways. Uh, the number one, and which is the main motivator for all of us in, in business, is numbers. We see huge productivity savings. I mean, absolutely enormous. Global Workplace Analytics estimates it to be $11,000 
per part-time employee just for productivity costs alone. So that's not including the overhead costs that you're saving on real estate and um, office facilities and electricity and equipment. It doesn't include the retention costs and recruiting costs that are so much lower because people get this job. They love it. They don't have to quit because their spouse got a job offer in another city or they need to move home to be closer to a loved one that's going through an illness or whatever. So retention is much higher. Recruiting is much easier because the market is so hungry for remote jobs. The list just goes on and on. So it's uh, it's almost a no-brainer for, for employers because the savings are so much higher. Yeah, that's incredible to say that. No wonder you talk about the seriousness of remote work so much because it's it's much deeper than just going on a beach and you know doing some freelance work if you want. Exactly. How can governments or companies empower more marginalized groups to work remotely? You've mentioned how remote work can empower all, all sorts of different groups of people. If a community wants to reap the benefits of having remote workers and they want to attract that type of workforce, there's a lot of different things that they can do. But number one, absolutely, and probably the biggest barrier that most cities run into is infrastructure. They need to be able to have the high-speed internet, right, at the highest speed possible. Absolutely. And that is what governments can and should be working on on as a highest priority is getting that infrastructure set, finding funding for that to happen if it doesn't already exist. If it does exist, then they can just think like a remote worker and think, okay, what are they going to need? They're going to need obviously this great internet, but what happens if that internet goes out? Do we have backup for them in a public place? Do we have quiet environments for them to work? Do we have meetups for them to be able to network with each other and prevent social isolation? Do we have access to airports and other benefits that they might need to tap into in order to travel to visit clients and things like that. Like think about the support structure surrounding the remote worker and and what they need in order to do their job. But then also on the life side of work-life balance, putting more money and thought and intention into like the parks and recreation system is really great because remote workers like to work from anywhere. And I mean, why stuff yourself in a home office all day if you can write an article from the park? So Parks and Rec is great. Um, just stimulating local restaurants and businesses that uh, to support remote workers. And, you know, if you see somebody that is working on a laptop and they're hanging out for a couple of hours, they're not loitering, like <laughs> they're just working and just providing community education about what this lifestyle means is really helpful. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's funny, like depending on the city you go, uh, some places are more, they have a higher tolerance for people just hanging out and, and kind of chilling. And sometimes you go to DC coffee shops and like, all right, get out of here. You need to, you need to keep moving on. And then you go to smaller towns. It's like the, the whole culture there is just relaxed and more friendly in some ways and not as busy and, and having a million things going on. Right. Oh, totally. Well, and not understanding either. So I'm in rural, a uh, very rural Connecticut, very tiny town, and which I love because, right, it's remote work in action. Like I don't have to be in a city anymore to be an executive and it's great. However, when I moved and I didn't have internet for two months, that was a major problem because nothing in this tiny little town opens until 
10 o'clock. And even then, like finding a quiet area was impossible. So what I ended up doing was commuting back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between my home and the library. So if I was in the library, I had to be quiet, right? I I couldn't have phone calls. So I would do all of my writing in the library and then I would have to go home where on my my mobile device and have calls just using data and then go back to the the library. But then I couldn't do both at the same time. So I'd have to like ask whoever else was in the call, hey, can you take notes on this? Like it was a disaster. So yes, I am now a very strong advocate, even stronger than before, of getting education and infrastructure support for for rural residents that happen to work remotely. Yeah. And I want to touch on education in a little bit, but I'm curious, what's maybe the most unique incentive that you've seen from communities or, or governments around remote work? I've seen recently that Tulsa's paying people like a salary, like a base salary to just come and live there for a couple of years if you have a remote job? Have you seen anything crazy like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Tulsa and Vermont and Italy have all offered those um, incentives. And I, although I think the Italy incentive takes the cake because they are really trying to attract residents and not just you're going to live here, but um, they were incentivizing family development while you were there in (laughs) in Italy uh, so that people would be born in their city. And I thought that was unexpected. (laughs) So that was interesting. Yeah, I, I love the tourism attraction that I talked about before. I thought that was fascinating, offering benefits of really low corporate tax structures so that you can come to a city as a nomad and start a business for really, really cheap. So that really benefits entrepreneurship. I thought that was cool. I advise an initiative called the Rural Online Initiative, and that was funded by the government of Utah. And that, again, is about rural economic development. And what we do there is we provide education. So start to finish, we take people that have never even heard of remote work and in a few weeks, give them the education that they need on hard skills and soft skills to convert their careers into something that's virtually compatible and then get them hooked up with a job. So that's seen a lot of success. And there's other initiatives that take unused spaces in communities like restaurants that are closed for the morning or um, shops that are closed on certain days. And they turn that unused space into co-working spaces for remote workers that happen to live locally. Just really cool stuff like that. I love seeing and hearing about new innovative approaches to this because this is new, right? The remote work industry is brand new. Telecommuting and telework is um, has been happening for 30 years, but remote work as a global phenomenon as and as a very accessible and realistic choice is brand new. And so people are thinking of new, amazing ideas every single day, and it's fun to watch those roll out. Yeah, I love some of these education programs that you're talking about. So if we look at it from mainstream or traditional education, what role do you think these more traditional institutions play in educating students or, or workers for the future of work. That's one of my clients that I collaborate with is a company called Workplaceless, and they provide SHRM approved, so 
SHRM being Society of Human Resource Management, SHRM approved curriculum for career development for remote workers because it is different as we're talking about today. Uh, remote work is work and it's not that different, but it is it does have nuances. And so they provide training on that. And we are working together to try to get those into those concepts and the practice of virtual team collaboration into higher education institutions, because that's what's missing, right? Is just the practice and dynamics of working together with people, but in a virtual Format. So we need to see more soft skill practice uh, with empathy and with communication and with proactivity and just really great skills and that in previously in, in traditional work structures have been nice to have, but in a virtual format, they're essential and we need to be developing those soft skills just as much as we are providing technical training in higher education. What is something that parents can do to help their kids think about the future of work? Ooh, that's a juicy question. I don't know if I've thought about that before. I think that in my family as a parent, granted my kids are young and I'm not technically preparing them for their career actively yet, but we definitely work on communication a lot in our family. And that's something that I miss a lot as a like as a community youth volunteer and things like that is you've got to tell me, right? Like you've got to update me. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what you're what's being blocked if you don't tell me. So if if you can't clean your room or if you can't fulfill a responsibility at home and you don't have the equipment and the resources that are accessible to you, you've got to let me know so that I can help provide those resources. And that's exactly what the the remote employee employer dynamic is, right? Like these remote workers are feeling isolated or they're feeling cut off or they're feeling just blocked in a certain project and they're just getting so frustrated at home, but the employer has no idea. So all of a sudden, employee quits their job and is angry at the company and blah 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 and the employer's like, "Wait, what happened? Like, what's what's going on? So just with more communication, that can be prevented. And I think as parents, that's something that we can do is really instill those habits of communication and proactivity and empathy. Again, this circles back to the higher education topic, which is hard skills, technical skills. Yes, those are essential. But what we're seeing lacking in the incoming workforce are soft skills. So the more that parents can really develop emotional intelligence in their kids, the better. Hashtag liberal arts. Yeah, not not that everything, not that all the ways we raise our kids needs to be focused uh, in terms of economic value and stuff, but basically raising good humans is going to make great team members and people that contribute to their communities and all sorts of things, right? Exactly, exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for spending the time and then chatting with us today, Laurel. We'll have to have you on again because there's tons more we can talk about. Yes, absolutely. I would love it. Thanks so much, Carson. Our guests on the podcast bring up some amazing thoughts on remote culture. How do they keep remote culture from becoming stale and distant when the team isn't physically present day by day? Most, if not all of them, are leveraging in-person offsites. Get your employees out of the office and get ready for an experience that will give you a boost of team spirit. Head to thesurfoffice.com to learn more.
Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the show to stay up to date with the latest conversations around the future of work. We'll be back with a brand new guest and some fresh ideas in a couple of weeks. Until soon.